0: So, one thing I enjoy, I I probably say this a lot because I really do mean it, every week when I'm preparing my message, I get to dig into it, and oftentimes, I'll find something out that I really didn't realize, I don't remember knowing before, and that happened to me this week. Of course, a lot of times we spend time in the Gospels, and this this week, it was weird because it started out with the first three verses of chapter 15. But then it dropped down to chapter, or to verse 11. So verse 11, it starts the story of the prodigal son. I think that's probably familiar to many of us, even if we can't think of it right away. When we hear it, we kind of, yeah, I know the story. What are some things we know about the story of the prodigal son? Anyone want to venture? What do we know? Been and bad- there was a good son in a bad... You say a good and a bad? Okay, there were two sons. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And we call the one bad because he asked for his inheritance. That's what God's Word tells us here. The younger of them, inappropriately, said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. So he divided the estate between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered everything together and traveled to a dis- distant country, and there he wasted his fortune in reckless and immoral living. So what else happened? Do you remember anything else? Uh, uh, when he came back home. oh, His father welcomed him so. Why did he come back home? He spent all his money. He wasted it. Wine, women, and song, it sounds like. And then a famine hit. He had to go throw himself upon the mercy of this pig farmer, and he said, yeah, go slop the pigs. And he kind of had this epiphany, saying, you know what, these pigs are eating better than I am. So I go back to my dad and say, Dad, look, I know I messed up. Just, your servants eat better than me. Hire me as your servant. Treat me as a servant. He heads home. And we hear how his father welcomes him. Is that the end of the story? No. Oldest son, who was faithful, he kind of gets mad. It's like, wait a minute, he wasted everything? You're throwing a party for him? You never threw a party for me? So that's the basic synopsis of the prodigal son. But what I discovered is, well, here, let's look at the first three verses. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began muttering and complaining, saying, this man accepts and welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And then we're supposed to jump ahead to the prodigal son, but wait a minute, what about what's going on here? And there's two parts of this story that we kind of forget about. But Jesus, it didn't say Jesus told them these stories or these parables, he told them one. So we have to kind of know what's going on here. Verse 4, what man among you if he has a hundred sheep and loses one does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost, searching until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And then we have the lost coin. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins, each one a day's wages. They were called denarii and Each one was equal to a day's work. If you work, you got a veneer up. And she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her women friends and neighbors saying, rejoice for me because I found the lost coin. And then we get the story of the prodigal son. So these aren't meant as three different stories. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from the the previous century, he said these three parables told here are not repetitions. They all declare the same main truth. But each one kind of reveals a different phase of it. What they share, if you listen, is they have a concern for something that was lost. And then there's joy when the recovery of what was lost. That's In each of these three parts. The sheep, that's a valuable animal. But the coin, a day's wages, that's more valuable than a sheep. And then finally, the most valuable thing, a son. All were lost. All were worth saving. I was thinking that the sheep just must have got distracted. You know, they're they're a big flock, the shepherd, and he's looking, hey, that grass over there looks good. And he heads off over the hill, and before he knows it, he's like, where'd all my friends go? I'm here by myself. He knew he was lost. he said, oh, something's different here. I don't have that guy protecting me and my friends. Where's the shepherd? The coin, coins don't think. They don't have a mind or an inanimate object. It didn't know it was lost. It wasn't lost because it was deficient in any way. It got misplaced. It was dropped. Maybe it rolled underneath something. But the son, that younger son, he was lost deliberately, willfully. He made a conscious decision. Hey, give me what's mine. I'm out of here. The loss of a person is a great tragedy. There's nothing more valuable than human life three sides, kind, of, kind of like a pyramid. This story, each, each story, part of it illustrates this idea of loss and then the joy of recovering what was lost. There's a, a saying, I, I like math. I can do common math in my head fairly quickly. Uh, but it's been said that mathematics are cold and can't explain everything. You know, one plus one equals two. Great. Think of the sheep. It's one sheep out of a hundred. So that's how much percent? One percent. One lost coin out of ten, that's... You guys are good. That's ten percent. The sun, one of two, that represents a 50 percent loss. Yet the shepherd, one percent. He went looking for that lost one, as if it was the only one. He left the other 99 behind so he could look for that one lost. The woman felt the loss of that one coin as if that was all she had. It wouldn't have done any good. She was a poor woman, it says. Don't worry about that. You've got nine other. You'll be fine. No, she needs that money. She needs that coin. So she was so happy when she found it. Hey, come on over, we're going to party. I found that lost coin I told you about. And father, he was heartbroken for the loss of his youngest son. You couldn't tell him, hey, don't worry about that son. You've got that other son. He's sticking by you. He's He's a good old boy. He's sticking with you. He missed his younger son. In spite of having this elder son who was so good to him. You know, this story that Jesus told, it's meant to show us how much each and every person is valued by God. Our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they all play a part in God's grace God's love, his mercy. Jesus, the good shepherd, with much pain and self-sacrifice, he seeks and saves the reckless and the wandering sheep woman, diligently searching and looking, working throughout her home trying to find that lost coin. We can think of that as maybe the Holy Spirit working through his church to help find and save the lost. God the Father is above all this with his abundant love to seek and save the lost. What's the Father do? He receives his wandering, returning son with a grace-filled kiss of reconciliation. He welcomes him back. A few weeks ago, in, in our one of our Wednesday night groups, someone asked a question, well, what's the difference between God's mercy and God's grace? And it's like, oh, that's a hard question. And I put my pastor hat on. I, I, I answered it the best I did. I honestly don't remember what I Sad, but I think I answered it sufficiently, but I think God must have been listening, because this week I stumbled upon a great definition, and it's actually from Max Licato, whose DVD we're using to help spurn our conversation. Max Licato says the difference between mercy and grace, mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance. Grace gave him a feast. And when you think about it, that prodigal son, he lived high on the hog, lost all his money, fathom strikes. So he heads home, cuts his tail between his legs. He figures he's lost it all. And then to his surprise, his epic failure is met with extravagant love and grace. We sometimes can be pretty hard on ourselves when things don't go as we plan them out in our head. Guilt, shame, just the fear of being seen as a failure. It can leave us wallowing in the pig muck around our lives. And often it might even be our own delusions of a perfectible life that keeps us disappointed in ourselves. I just work harder if I just do this my life will be perfect. It will be better. And the truth is that life is a, a risk every day. And facing whatever each day throws at us is not only good enough, but it's worthy of love and grace. This past week, Wednesday night, we talked about judgment. Judgment, judgment. Often when I gather, we always end up talking about judgment. And who among us doesn't struggle with judgment? Judging others, judging ourselves. And usually we can be our own harshest critic. And some people might worry our, our theme this and season is good enough. You know, when you just tell people that it's good enough, you're kind of letting them off the hook for trying to better themselves, for striving for excellence. And that's true. There are people who might think like that. But what if the larger problem is actually the fear of mistakes that we're inevitably going to make? They might really set us back. So we stop being creative. We stop trying something new. We stop pushing boundaries. Because the risk becomes just too great. What if I fail? Everyone will know. And when this happens, we actually lose our momentum for actually getting better. Because getting better actually means that we will make mistakes until we learn. No one, the first time they try something, is perfect. But we live, if we live in an environment where we know we're going to be loved anyway, we're freer to live fully. With more grace for ourselves. The prodigal son comes to his senses. He repents of his sins. He says, I have really messed up this time. I've lost everything. Oh, my poor dad. But he, he turns around and he, he heads home. He heads home to the father. Overjoyed, the father orders that huge feast be prepared. He's so happy Give him the ring. Give him the cloak. You know, we're going to have the fatty Catholic party. Everyone's happy, overjoyed, except for that older brother. He's worked hard and faithfully alongside and with his father. No banquet has been prepared for him. It's not fair. Rob Bell notes at this point. The father interrupts his eldest son. The father is redefining fairness. It's not that his father hasn't been fair with him. It's that his father never set out to be fair in the first place. Grace and generosity aren't fair. That's their very essence. The father sees the younger brother's return as It's one more time I'm going to get to practice being unfair. That younger son doesn't deserve a party. That's the point of the party. That's how things work in the father's world. Profound unfairness. People get what they don't deserve. Parties are thrown for the younger brothers who squander their inheritance. Grace and generosity aren't fair. God does not give us what we deserve. Instead, God treats us unfairly by bestowing grace and love and mercy over us. The psalmist makes this very point in verse 10 of Psalm 103. He does not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our Inequity. Can we be thankful for God's amazing unfairness? It's called grace. We're allowed to fail and still be loved by God. Once the younger son realized his mistakes and goes home, his father forgave him and accepted him as he was. God offers everyone that same forgiveness. And no, it's not fair. Life, unfortunately, is not fair. And if you have a problem with life not being fair, I want you to remember the story of the crosses. Not the cross, but the three crosses. Good Friday's going to be here in a couple weeks. Jesus, having lived a perfect human life, spit on, beaten, hanging on that cross. And on each side of him, there's another cross with a criminal. Hanging in your own agony. Well-deserved. One taunts Jesus. 23rd chapter of Luke. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us from death. The other criminal interjecting through his own pain. We are suffering justly because we're getting what we deserve for what we have done. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. If and when you're struggling with life not being fair, just remember what Jesus Christ did for that criminal on the cross. He forgave him, offered him mercy and grace. wasn't fair. Life can be hard, life can be unjust. We also try to balance that out with looking at our own. Good deeds. But see, if it was about good deeds, this story that Jesus told about the prodigal son, he would have thrown the celebration for his eldest son long ago. The story of the prodigal son instead gives us a warning about wanting life to be fair. The eldest son was not going to celebrate about the lost being found. Instead of being joyful, he was resentful. It's not fair. Pride will prevent joy in our lives. I deserve better. After all, I'm not straight from God. I go to church every week. I pray all the time. I, I give my offering, my pie to the church. Why did this happen to me? You have to always remember, grace and generosity aren't fair. What makes them great? God celebrates with joy when what was lost is found. Can we do the same? The lost, they celebrate being found. The joy of returning and being forgiven. Can we live a more joy-filled life? Even understanding that life isn't fair. And for that, we're thankful and blessed. Amen.